Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today, and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. I want to uh, read our scripture verse for today as we continue in our sermon series looking at purpose and meaning of why are you here. This comes from a letter that we call 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, if you want to follow along on the screen or in your own Bible or on your phone. It says, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. So one of my personal heroes in life is a woman by the name of Marie Kondo. And if you somehow missed out on the mayhem that took over our lives in pop culture that came from a little book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, or its following Netflix special in 2015, I'll catch you up. Marie Kondo is an organizing consultant born and raised in Japan who invented what is called the KonMari method of tidying up one's home and space. The method is very simple. You only keep things that what she says, quote, spark joy. So I'll give you an example. Let's say for your clothes. You take all of the clothes in your house and you put them in one room. And if you're anything like me, you are um, disgusted and like repulsed by how large the pile is. Um, but then the method is, is that you take each item and you hold it in your hands and you ask yourself the question, does this spark joy? If it sparks joy, you get to keep it. But if it doesn't, you get to get rid of it. And so by the end of the process, if you've done this correctly, 
Every single item in your household, from books to clothes to knickknacks, is an item that sparks joy. And according to the book, there's this, there's this energy, this divine spirit that then enters into your house. Remember that Marie Kondo is kind of from an, an Eastern tradition, and so um, there's this energy, this spirit that enters into your house. And while I will not butcher the Japanese word that is um, this energy, I'll tell you what it means. The right way to live. Now, Marie Kondo is pretty famous um, and maybe even criticized a few years ago for convincing all of us that we should get rid of our stuff. But maybe she's more of a spiritual prophet than we might give her credit for. This opening verse that comes from 1 Peter reminds me of the few times that I have used the KonMari method in my home. Remember the writer of 1 Peter in verse 1 writes this, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. Now here's a question I have. When you hold malice and guile and insincerity, envy, and slander in your hands, and you take a really good look at it, do any of those things spark joy? This is an interactive thing you can say. No, yeah, of course not, right? Of course not. That's what the author reminds us of here. And when we hold malice and guile and insincerity and envy and slander within our own lives as individuals, they do have an impact on on us and what we think of ourselves and our own psychology. But isn't it interesting if you think about how these particular attributes do the most harm exponentially in community? I believe that malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander are in fact the vices that do the most harm harm to a community. And that's exactly what 1 Peter is all about. So 1 Peter is a letter written, uh, believed to be written by the Apostle Peter. To, and it's addressed to different house churches that are in Rome. Um, you think quarantining with your family is hard. Imagine quarantining with the whole church. Some of you extroverts would think it's cool. Um, But the Roman Empire at this time didn't accept Christianity. And so these were people who were having to meet in houses because they were truly, by definition, persecuted. So they had to meet secretly and they had to live together as a community. And so this entire letter um, is written to persecuted Christians with instructions for how to live faithfully together in a holy community. So these opening verses that remind us um, to throw off the vices that don't spark joy are even more important, I think, when we understand the context of this letter. For the original readers and hearers of this, it was so that they wouldn't destroy the holy community in which they live. But for us today, it's a reminder of the vices that will destroy the holy community as well. The things that we must keep are the good attributes the good pieces that bring together the community, the good things and aspects of our lives that spark joy. And Peter continues this thread of the holy community in verses 2 through 8, which Pastor David read for us, and he introduces this idea of living stones. So in verse 4, remember Peter says, um, he calls Jesus a living stone. He says, come to him, he says, come to Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And I love that Peter brings to us these image of stones. 
Peter naming Jesus a living stone should spark a callback in your brain. All the way back in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus calls Peter a rock on which he is going to build the church. The flipping of the narrative between Jesus and Peter and rocks and stones and calling each other this is nothing short of wildly poetic, right? And even further, this is not the only place in which we see rocks and stones in the Bible. From the very beginning, rocks are weapons that are used to destroy things. They're thrown, they're moved, they're stacked on top of one another in this thing called an Ebenezer, which is supposed to be a monument to God's faithfulness. In the Psalms, which is the poetry book in our Bible, rocks are referred to as things um, to stand on top of, to hide behind, and these represent God. God being something solid to stand on top of. God being something solid to hide behind. God is called a solid rock. And remember back in the Gospels, Jesus tells this story of two guys that build houses. One builds their house on sinking sand, and it doesn't go very well, but the one who builds the good house builds it on solid rock. I told you this is interactive. It's going to be okay. So Peter calls Jesus a stone. He uses a common Old Testament metaphor for God. And he uses the word that Jesus called him at Caesarea Philippi in the Gospel of Matthew and takes it a step further. Not only does uh, Peter call Jesus a rock or a stone, but he calls Jesus a living stone. Friends, Jesus is a living stone, not static or stoic, but instead alive, full of life. Peter keeps the strength and the stability of the metaphor of the stone, but then adds this word living stone to remind us that our Christ is a resurrected Christ, that God has triumphed over death into eternal life, but but even further offered that to the entire world. Peter affirms in one word that Jesus is alive. But Peter, God bless him, he doesn't stop there. He takes the metaphor even a step further, and in verse 6, he calls Jesus a cornerstone. Now, unfortunately, on our screens, it doesn't really work this way, but if you have one of these um, old-fashioned, like, paper things, it's called a, a, a Bible, like, not on your phone. Um, they still sell them. Yes. Uh, but if you look in a Bible, or even, like, on your phone, truthfully, um, this section is indented in your Bible. It looks different than the rest of the text. I don't know why I'm holding it up like you can see it because it's so far away because we're keeping very good COVID distance. But, but the, the scripture right here is indented because it's a direct quote from the Old Testament. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 28 where God is called a cornerstone. And so Peter's bridging together this, this Old Testament thought with this New Testament thought and calls Jesus the cornerstone. Now, for those of you like me who are not exactly up to par on your um, biblical construction knowledge, um, a cornerstone was the part of a structure that was laid down first. It's the stone that every other piece of the building is built on or around or in reference to. It's the stone that sets the boundaries for the building, how far out the walls are going to go, where the rooms are going to be. Without the cornerstone building the building, would be difficult, full of mistakes, or in some cases impossible. A cornerstone is the base for everything. 
So Jesus is our cornerstone. Jesus is at the center in which we build our lives. Every piece of our life is to be built on or around or in reference to Jesus. Jesus sets the boundaries for our lives. Without Jesus, building our life would be painfully difficult, full of mistakes, or in some cases, impossible. Just like a cornerstone, Jesus is the base for everything. So Peter calls Jesus a stone. But Peter also calls Jesus a living stone. And even further, Peter calls Jesus the living cornerstone. And in verse 5, Peter challenges us to be like Jesus. He says in verse 5, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Peter takes this imagery that we've seen in Scripture. He brings the Old Testament um, teachings of, 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 of what God is and brings the New Testament teachings of what Jesus said the church is going to be. And he tries to get us to understand this point. If Jesus is the cornerstone, there is something else that needs to be added to the structure. A cornerstone is not a building in itself. There are living stones that make up a spiritual house. You are part of God's story. You are part of God's story that includes Jesus. Peter takes this idea even further and reminds us in verse 9 when he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. You are a living stone. You are added to the structure that is being built by God on which Christ is the cornerstone. You are chosen. You are a living stone. God takes you and holds you in the palm of God's hand, looks at you and says, ah, this one sparks joy. And then God takes you and adds you to the cornerstone so that you make up part of the structure that God is building. You are chosen. What I love about this entire passage that we get from Peter, um, Peter has instructions for us. Peter never um, leaves us without something to do with what we've learned. We are living stones which means we are full of life and we take part in um, the resurrection of our cornerstone's victory over death. But a living stone isn't just full of life in itself. A living stone reaches out and is life-giving as well. One of the things I love about the whole of 1 Peter is how organized it is, which is also why I love the KonMari method. And if you know my personality, you're not surprised by that fact. But Peter writes about Jesus in a way that I believe is accessible. There's no um, secret language or secret password to be in the club. There's not even a, a prerequisite of something you have to go through to access this community. Nothing keeps you from being part of the structure of living stones. Of the community of Christ, the cornerstone is for all. And so from that, we are called to offer life to all of those who are seeking to be living stones 
with us. To be a living stone is to partake in the resurrection, to be um, living within our own selves, but also to be truly life-giving. Not only do we participate in the resurrection of Christ, but to be life-giving, we look to the example that the four Gospels have so much information about how Jesus lived for us. We share in the resurrection, but we also partake in Jesus' life. Just like Jesus did, we are to include others who aren't at the table quite yet. Include those who um, aren't filling the seats yet, who aren't filling the online space yet. We have to show grace and mercy to those whom society has decided are outcasts or not good enough or not picked for the team. Just like Jesus, we have to flip tables that need to be flipped when parts of society have missed what it's all about. We have to share what we have with others. And above all else, as living stones that are life-giving, we must tell others that they are chosen right alongside us. We must remind people that they are part of the structure that we are part of with God. That God takes them in God's hands, looks at them, and says, oh, this one sparks joy. And we remind people that God takes them and adds them to the cornerstone, adds them to the holy community, adds them to the structure that God has been building from the very beginning. As living stones, we share in being chosen for this life and for eternal life with God. But as living stones who are also life-giving, we must ask ourselves the question, who needs to know that they are chosen to be part of God's structure, of God's holy community? Who needs to be told that when God looks at them, they spark joy? We are to be a community of living stones. And so in this, we are supposed to remind people that they have been chosen by God to be part of the holy community, to be part of the structure as well. And perhaps there is no better way to signify that understanding for us this morning than communion. A time in which we remember that we are chosen but also that God chose the person to your right and your left and in front of you and behind you. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I invite you to pray. Gracious and most loving God, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that we get to participate in his resurrection, his victory over death, God. But we thank you for his life. And God, as we seek to be living stones who are also life-giving, we ask that we might continue to learn from Jesus' example. That we would show grace, that we would offer mercy, and that we would tell others that they are chosen as well. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. 
Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.